So this is our series right now that we began last week entitled One Week to Live. And what we're doing is we're tracing the last week of Jesus' life before he is crucified on a cross and then raised to life again on Easter Sunday. We began last week by looking and beginning on a Sunday, often what we refer to as Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, people waving palm branches, which were symbols of a revolution and symbols of nationality, as if they were saying, here comes our general to drive out the Roman Empire that has us under its thumb, we often come to God with our felt need and God aims at our real need. And Jesus said, oh, I came to bring a different kind of kingdom, but not the one that you envision and the one that you imagine. So each week, we're going to take a look at one of those days during that final week. And today, we turn our attention to what we've entitled Mean Monday and this is really around a couple stories that happen on the day um, after Palm Sunday, on Monday. And I'm imagining that everybody has a picture of what Jesus was like and what his personality was like. If you've been around church for any length of time, you know, we have read different things and heard different stories. And so we have a picture. I think that one of the common perceptions of Jesus is that he's kind of like an ancient version of Mr. Rogers. Right? Somebody who's going around, you know, saying to everybody, hey, won't you be my neighbor? You know, and he's got his sweater vest on and all of that, that Jesus is kind of like Mr. Rogers in a robe, you know, back then. And golly gee, everybody just loves him, you know, and you can't ever have a problem with Mr. Rogers. Well, we're going to look at a couple stories today that'll blow up that perception if that's the one that we have about Jesus. Because we're going to see Jesus get angry, and I think it raises, you know, a really important question. If we were to fill in this blank of what does God hate? And we live in a time where there are a lot of people filling in that blank with a lot of things. But here's one of the, the statements we make around Washington Heights quite a bit. If you want to know what God is like and even what he hates, look at Jesus because he is God in the flesh. That Jesus is God the Son. The one who was with God and was God at the beginning and then became flesh, made himself manifest to this world. And what he says in the world is what God would say in the real world. What he does is what God would do in the real world. And so today we may entertain the question, what is it that made Jesus angry? And we're going to look at a couple stories. One is together with just his disciples. The other one is very public. And it may seem that these two stories are very disconnected from each other, but they are very connected. One is an object lesson together with his close followers. The other one is something for everybody to see and to experience. And I think it helps us understand something about the heart of God, even the heart of God that we get angry at something. So let's track along with that. On the following day, the following day after what? After Sunday, this is Monday. When they came from Bethany, he, Jesus, was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, how many people, could, you kind of think inside, you know, that's just a bad look for Jesus there. Right? I mean, this looks like an outburst of anger. And who would curse a tree for not having figs, especially when it's real clear in saying that it's not even fig season? 
So is this just kind of a bad moment? And you know, we can probably also, yeah, I've had a few bad moments like that and snapped and you know, said things that I kind of resented in the moment, but there's something very important happening in this moment. Jesus is with his disciples and there's a culture playing out all around him. And for three years, Jesus has interacted with a form of spirituality that was not facilitating meeting with God but often put barriers in the way of that. And the whole situation with the fig tree, there's part of this that we don't understand in our culture because we don't live around you know, fig trees and don't know how that process plays out. When fig trees first come into leaf, they get their spring leaves. They don't produce the final version of a fig, but what they do produce are these little nodules, these little nuggets that are kind of like um, you know, little figs. And it was quite common in that day for travelers to go up to those trees and they would just grab that and it was very sweet and very nutritious and it was just everywhere because the trees were everywhere. So here you have a tree with the leaves on it. Jesus goes over and discovers it does not have what those fig trees normally have. And so the fruit that should have been very evident in this moment is not there. And what that indicated was that that tree was diseased, was maybe hollow on the inside, but it was not well. On the outside, it looked great, but there was no fruit. And so Jesus, in this moment, takes this to interact with it in a way that maybe looks a little bit like this picture here. This is more in our context. And you can see this tree that's come down. It has leaves at the top. And when that thing was standing up, it probably looked good from the outside and was bearing some leaves, but then it toppled over and you can see what happens on the inside. It is diseased. It is hollow. Something is not well. And it led to that tree toppling over. And Jesus uses that moment with a tree like an object lesson that helps us understand what made Jesus angry in that moment. The appearance of growth without fruit. Now it's going to be much broader context than it just is with a tree. Because the next thing that happens is Jesus is on the way to the temple. And the temple is the place that God created in that moment for people to be able to encounter the living God. It's where the presence of God resided. Now, we live at a time where God has gone global. But in that moment, the temple was a place to meet together with God and to experience him. And this object lesson with a tree is now going to be put on public display. So check this out. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Anyone who has ever seen Mr. Rogers, you ever see him throw over some tables? you know, and start upsetting some people. And Matthew's version of this actually tells us that he put together a whip and started driving people out. Mr. Rogers never used a whip on anybody. Jesus is using one on this day. Story goes on. And he was teaching them, saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? And where is Jesus getting that from? In the Old Testament, when the temple was first constructed, there was a place for people to go into the most sacred place, the Holy of Holies, 
There was even a place for the Gentiles, non-Jewish people who wanted to come and worship the God of the Bible. And so God's intention at the beginning was that the nation of Israel would be a light to all people and that anyone, regardless of their background, regardless of their ethnicity, could come and experience God in that place. It was intended to be a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. In this moment, the religious leaders go, we need to kill that guy. We need to get rid of him. Because he is literally upsetting everything that we have set in place. Now let's understand a little bit of the dynamic of what's playing out here. Here is a recreation of the temple in Jesus' day. This is what it looked like. And it tells us um, that Jesus entered by the east gate, would have been right in direct line with where the temple was. And the expectations of people wanting somebody who's going to come and be our general to drive out the occupying Roman army, if you look over to the right, there's the Tower of Antonia, and that is where a Roman garrison was headquartered. Why would they put it there? Because the idea was if there's going to be an uprising or we're going to encounter some problem, it's going to begin right here because this is where people can gather and this is where they're going to get an idea that we need to get rid of the foreigners and we need to get our version of our life back in order. And so the expectation is that Jesus would make a right turn, head over to the tower, and let's get these Romans out of here. What Jesus does instead is make a left-hand turn And he goes into the place that was designated from the very beginning of when God gave the blueprints for a temple to what is called the court of the Gentiles. This is where people who were not of a Jewish background could come and worship. They could meet together with God. But it is jam-packed with tables, with animals, I mean, maybe the only modern equivalent I could think of it in our context here, this is like 25th Street during the farmer's market days. And you got booze everywhere and you got people walking everywhere and it's just a madhouse. And Jesus walks into that place and he starts turning over tables and driving people out and animals are running and flying away and money is hitting the ground and people are being driven out. And we may ask, well, I can understand to some degree why Jesus would do that, but what would make him so angry that the image would look something like this? This is not a Mr. Rogers image. So what is it that is in the heart of Jesus in this moment that has him so upset? Well, the key, and we looked at these verses already, but he entered the temple, began to drive out those who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. So picture this. There was a place created for people to come and experience God called the court of the Gentiles. But now it was crowded out with people who were buying and selling. When people would make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and some people live there, but the estimates are that sometimes a million or more people would journey to Jerusalem for the high holy day that we call Passover. And they would bring with them their sacrificial animals that they planned to sacrifice on the Temple Mountain. But there were inspectors in the temple who would inspect what sacrificial animals were brought by the people making these journeys, sometimes long journeys. And many times, the record in history tells us, those animals were rejected. Some flaw was found. 
Well, what's a person to do who has journeyed a long way to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice, but now the inspectors say your sacrifice is not good enough? Hey, there's good news, in quotes. We have pre-approved sacrificial animals right over in the court of the Gentile area, and they're available to you. Now, if you know anything about how this might work, do you think the prices of the pre-approved animals were cheap and beneficial to the people who needed them? Or do you think that those prices were way jacked up to benefit the people who were selling? And you probably know the answer to that. This was a racket that extorted money from a lot of people who came to meet with God. And not only that, there was also the issue of the money that you were using on the Temple Mountain. Inside of the temple area, um, you could not use Roman coins. And why couldn't you use Roman coins? Because they had images on them. And for the Jewish people, they would call this a graven image. Those were often some of the emperors in Roman history. And that was an offense. So you couldn't use that money on the Temple Mount. You had to change your money to the Jewish money that could only be spent in the temple area. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think the exchange rate favored the people who needed to change their Roman coins for the temple coins? Or do you think it benefited those who were making the exchanges? The rates were jacked up and people were being taken advantage of. And so Jesus walks into this scene. This place was created for people to encounter God and all kinds of barriers are put in place and people are being extorted and it looks really spiritual on the outside, but it's become hollow and, and diseased in all kinds of different ways. And people who were invited in the court of the Gentiles had now been squeezed out by all the people that have turned it into something else. And so Jesus gets angry in that moment at religious leaders who put barriers in front of people who want to get to God. And he starts turning some stuff over. Right after Jesus does that, the religious leaders come up to him and they say, hey, we don't really appreciate what you did. And Jesus tells two stories, two parables. And they're different stories, but they really have the same takeaway where they talk about how the religious leaders are the bad guys and people far from God who want to get to God are the good guys. And at the end of both of those, Jesus says, it's more likely that tax collectors and prostitutes, two of the farthest people from God in that day viewed very negatively, it's more likely that they'll get into the kingdom of God than you. And they decide, you know what? We're going to get rid of this guy. We're going to kill him. And so they leave, but then Jesus is not done. And it says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And we go, well, what's the big deal with that? I mean, Jesus healed a lot of people. The big deal is that it takes place in the temple. In the Old Testament, it tells us that people with those kind of disabilities, could they come into the temple? Absolutely not. They had to stay at a distance. They couldn't even enter through the gates. And Jesus says, you come on in. You are welcome here. And not only are you welcome, but you can find healing here in this place. Because all of this was created so that people could encounter the living God. So let's make this a little bit personal and apply it um, to ourselves. So I'm going to give you a couple things and a couple questions to entertain. So here's the first one. We often build barriers to God. Jesus built bridges. And in his day, you know who Jesus loved? The answer is everybody. 
He loved the religious leaders, but boy, he would challenge some of the hardness inside of their hearts. He loved people far from God. And maybe it's because they realized and lived with their brokenness day by day, they were very often open to the things of God. But the people who thought that they had God all figured out, it seemed like it was a little bit more of a challenge and Jesus would challenge that because he will tell us the truth about ourselves and about where we stand with God. So let me ask you this question. Am I joining Jesus and busting some barriers? Are there ways in which I have put certain people off limits from God? Or do I recognize that I will never lock eyes with somebody who does not matter to God? And it doesn't mean that all is well, right? Jesus loved religious leaders. Were they on God's page? Not in this moment and not during his three years of ministry, but he loved them. And so am I building bridges to every single person who matters to God? Second point from this to make it personal, we often label people unworthy. Jesus welcomes them in by his grace. And so a question along with that, will I let Jesus heal me? See, I think one of the temptations of stories like this is to go, yeah, that's right. Jesus got angry and he got angry at those kind of people. And this story is all about those people and they need to hear this. Can I invite us not to play that game and to keep the focus on ourselves? And in what way is it that God needs to do his work in, in me? C.S. Lewis, great writer about a hundred years ago, started his life as an atheist became a follower of Jesus when he looked into it for himself. And he said, this, what we're even a part of today, is not meant to be a hotel for the holy, but a hospital for the hurting. And so one of the things that we have in common is that God needs to do his work in us and we are like that lame or blind person who comes to him and needs some healing that this was intended and created to be a place where real people with real issues could encounter the living God and be transformed by his power and by his grace. So this isn't just about, yeah, those people. It's about us people. But sometimes the way it works in spiritual arenas is that things can look really good on the outside, but it's hollow on the inside. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you're skeptical about the times in which you hear about some really dark things happening in a spiritual context and it makes you angry and it looks like hypocrisy because it is hypocrisy or it's represented one way but the reality turns out different and it makes you mad, you know what? You've got something in common with Jesus. It made him mad too. And so Jesus challenges the whole idea of something that looks good on the outside but is not real on the inside. Now the word we have for that is integrity, that the inside matches the outside, that what we see is backed up by what's inside. The Apostle Paul one time talked about Christ being formed in you. So maybe one way that we can understand this is what is a way in which Jesus is being formed in you? Because coming to God is not just going through the motions. It's not intended to be just something that we do. It's an opportunity to encounter a God who longs to transform these hearts and lives of ours. And the truth about all of us is that there are ways in which we can take some steps in that direction. And so it's not just for those people. It's for these people. It's for us people. 
Maybe one way to illustrate this um, a little bit, and I'm going to need a couple volunteers to help me out with this, right? So a couple bananas. Um, this is something that God has made, and can I volunteer one of you to catch this banana here? If I hit you, I apologize ahead of time. There you go, good catch. Uh, I'm going to come over on this side, Dale, here you go. Uh, open that up for me, and let's see if what God makes is hollow or is it full? And as soon as you get that peel, why don't you hold that up for us so we can see? Yep, God did it again there. And is it true? Dale, hold that one up. Let us, let us see it. God did it again. What God makes has integrity, that the inside is full, it is not hollow. And on the day when Jesus encountered hollow spirituality, he got upset because this is not supposed to be some spiritual game where we just go through the motions. It's where broken, blind, lame people like us can experience the healing and the power that God and God alone can bring, that we would encounter the living God who longs to transform these hearts of ours. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that this was never meant for us to play some kind of game. But instead, we can come as we are. We can come with all our stuff, our junk, our jacked up selves, and we can be honest with you. But God, we also need to bring an expectation of change, of encounter, of your power at work to transform these hearts and lives of ours. And so God, help us to resist the moments where it looks good on the outside, but the inside doesn't match. And God, in moments like that, help us to lean hard into you, to come back to an understanding of what you have given us the opportunity for, to experience the life change that comes from the living God and from you alone. And so God, do your work in us and may we just understand as the Washington Heights family that uh, we have a need for you every day. God, we need you to renovate, to fill these hearts of ours, to create this integrity in our souls that matches what is seen on the outside. God, lead us in that direction and again, not for our sake, but God, may it be for your honor and for your glory. And so we ask and we pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen.